This is Pastor Nathan Kirk, and I am so glad that you have decided to make Greater Life a part of your day by tuning in to the message that you're about to hear. We here at Greater Life are a group of people that are passionate about living for Christ, as well as service one to another. From our worship services, classes, and messages, we strive to love and serve with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. I hope you enjoy the message you're about to hear, that it is a blessing to you, and that in turn you may be a blessing to others. If you're searching for a church to call your home, I encourage you to join us here at Greater Life. Cap on, put it on. No, get your thinking cap and put it on. You can do it. Cover up your bed head or your work head or your your lice or whatever you've got going on. I don't know. It's just the season, you know. I don't know. Just some people just bring it home and they don't have to worry about it anymore. Um, I'm just teasing. That was not anyway. Um, What we're going to do is I want us to jog our memories and go through a Bible timeline from creation to new creation. And now I'm not asking for specifics. In the year (laughs) 1948 B.C., like I'm not asking for that, but I'm just asking for some highlights. And you don't have to have the years down. We're just going to try and get in a little bit of an order down, okay? A little bit of an order. So, oh, is this all right? So I need you to, to kind of help us out here. And don't, don't just ask Pastor Hatton, like, what's the next step? That's not fair. That's like using your notes on the test. You can't do that. It's not, it, well, it is open book. If, unless you have a timeline in the back of your Bible, then no, it's not open book. Don't, don't get your phones and start looking online. I see some of you. I'm watching you right now. You're Googling it, and you're like, no, stop that. Google's not invited to this Bible study. So <laughs> neither is Siri. Okay? So where do we start? What's at the beginning? Where do we start? Creation. That's pretty, all right, we're off to a good start. Creation, Eden, I think we would say, right? All right, so far, so good. Then, um, is it summer or fall? I don't know. It's the fall. Fall, okay. Fall of mankind, I suppose if I'm politically correct, I should say humankind. But uh, I'll save political correctness for another day. Um, flood? What was that? Call? Noah. Okay, Noah and flood. Okay, all right. Good, good. We're doing well. Nobody get nervous. It's okay. What happened? What, what comes next? Abraham? Abraham and and then and then what happens? Isaac and Jacob. We'll kind of lump. All right. What happens after them? Moses. Moses and uh, maybe like Egypt. Are we talking about Egypt? Is this all right? Kind of interjecting a little bit here. Okay, what happens next? Oh, I'm ascending. You say Joseph? He's 
Joseph. <laughs> no, he's right in there. We found him. Joseph. What happens after all oh, judges? Oh, we missed the whole promised land, right? It was like Joshua, promised land. Job is in here. He's like in here. <laughs> okay, so after Joshua in the promised land, then Judges, I think, right? Is that where we're at? Remember when we studied all of this? <laughs> no, well, you missed it. It was great. So what happens after Judges? What, what? United monarchy. We could say kings, but Israel already had a king. Right. <laughs> United monarchy followed by Divided division, I heard. So divided kingdom. Come on, Sister Molly, you went to Bible college. Still got that jet lag going on, so it's okay. (laughs) She's like, I went to Bible college for music. No, I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. I'm just joking. I know, I know. I know, you're good. I'm just teasing. I'm I'm just, everyone, just take a chill pill, okay? So divided kingdom. And, and then what happened? This is where it gets a little fuzzy for some of us. Captivity. Who first? Assyria? And then... Okay. Then what happened? What's that? Oh, we got that. We I know you can't see it. We got Babylon and, and Judah. So rest return from return? Is that what we're calling it? Restoration? Okay. A lot of stuff going on in that book. Did you know all this was in there? It's a pretty good story. Okay, what what happens next? (laughs) Just fast forward to Mary. I don't know. There's a part in here. <laughs> Silence. Silence. 
Like when I ask for a testimony or when I ask how last week's lesson was, silence. Okay, then, then where we, then what happens after that? It's like Jesus is here, right? Oh, John the Baptist, we want to go with him. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. There's no... John the Baptist. Then can I put Jesus in next? Jesus at the center of it all. Okay, then what happens after Jesus? I mean, that's kind of important, but, but if you look at, well, if you look at the big picture of, of how big Jesus' life was, it's like, a, it's like one of these lines compared to everything else. But, but the impact was obviously the thread that runs through the entire thing. Um, what happens after Jesus? Church. Did you say COVID? You're dismissed. Okay, what happens after the church in Pentecost? What? No. <laughs> what was that? What, hap- what happens after the church is born in Pentecost? You have Acts and the Epistles. So I'll just put that down, I guess. Okay. And then, after the church age, what happens? Are we in the church age? Did you say COVID? Did somebody else say COVID? <laughs> I'm about to dismiss this thing right now. New creation. Kingdom come. New Jerusalem, new earth, new heaven. New, 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 new. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. There, all that's in here. All that's in here. If you're wondering where all of these books kind of fit in, they all tie in right in there. And they tell a potent story about our central figure, Jesus Christ. He is the story. 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 6. And I'm going to point to the reason why we did this in just a second here. 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 6. A couple of weeks ago, Lee had asked the question about leavened or unleavened bread, and what's the difference, and why do we even talk about that? Paul is writing about this in 1 Corinthians. This is Acts in the epistles. If you look and see right on there, he's writing about this, or writing in this time, and 
he's talking to the church in Corinth. Now, the church in Corinth, just to be, help us out here, was a very messed up and unhealthy church. It was full of problems, full of false ideas about what doctrine should be, full of gossiping and backbiting, full of immorality. It was full, full, full of problems. It had, yes, so I was getting there. That's, you're right. You're absolutely right. The reality is that it had people. It had humanity. If you're looking for a church that is perfect, well, yeah, it says don't join it. Maybe you do need to join it to kind of show everyone, like, it's just really not perfect. Take the rose-colored lenses off. There's no perfect church. Because the church is comprised of people, and there's no perfect person. There was one perfect person, and we took care of him. <laughs> right. So we, we don't even know what to do with perfection. Right. So, so Paul's writing here to a group of people, and he's correcting them. He's giving them some correction. He's helping them, and, and correction is helpful even though it doesn't feel like it. Ask your children. Um, and he says, you're, in, in 1 Corinthians 5, 6, your glorying is, is not good. You're getting really excited about a lot of things. And he says, this excitement that you have about what you're so excited about, it's not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? A little bit of yeast, as it were, right, is all that you need to make whatever dough that you have to make it expand, to make it grow. Just, just, just a little bit. Just a little bit. A, a little corruption into the recipe. Just a little bit. Not, not of every ingredient, because you could throw some things in there and it's not going to maybe have as much of an impact. You can kind of be off a little bit here and there, and it's, it's not going to be a real, it's, yeah, it's not going to be the same. It's not going to be perfect, but it's not going to have as much of an impact. And So you want to get closer and closer to the true recipe. But, but he's saying that a little bit of a specific ingredient, leaven, takes care of the entire lump. A little bit. And for us today, when we talk about something so significant, it is, it's this, that there are things that maybe seem insignificant. It's so small, it doesn't really matter. Or really, it, it, it's, it, isn't this just detracting from the vision? Isn't this not, not as important? This is just a little thing. It, it probably doesn't really matter. But it's a little bit that given enough time, Something very small will infiltrate the entire body. Um, yes, <laughs> so there you have it. Um, let's rejoice. <laughs> Verse 7, therefore, so here's what he says. So what do we do about this? He says, oh, here's what you do. Purge out the old leaven. You see, we're not hopeless. Purge out the old leaven 
that you may be a new lump. I mean, like, how many times has anyone ever called you a lump and you've really felt good about that? Welcome to church, you lump. And it's like, I don't know what we're doing there. I, that doesn't make me feel good. <laughs> but he says, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump since you are truly, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, you hear this, for indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. We've been studying the Passover the last few weeks and talking about the significance of Passover, some of the traditions and what some of the symbolism is for the celebration of Passover, especially how it's more so observed today in more modern times. But Paul writes to us here, as he did to Corinth, he's writing to us, and he's telling us that Christ, we're concerned so much about this Passover thing, like we've put some focus and time on that, He's saying Christ is your Passover. He is the Passover that was sacrificed for us. Therefore, and he's speaking more symbolically here, but he says, therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven, hear hear this, nor with the leaven of malice or wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. That's that's really potent right there. Jesus Christ became our Passover. When I was talking a few weeks ago about the Passover that Jesus had with his disciples, it was the first day of Passover, so they wanted to observe that. Um, and as he was celebrating with them, and he was talking in, in Scripture, in the Gospels, guides us with the meal that they had together. I said one of the components that was missing from their Passover meal, over there, Sadar, if they were to call it that, one of the components that was missing was the lamb. There was no lamb in their meal. They had the other components of the meal, but they, they didn't have a lamb. Apparently, it, like it wasn't mentioned anywhere in there. The preparation of it, the selection of it, um, the, the, con- the consuming of it, like it's not mentioned in the story anywhere. And was that left out intentionally or ac- you know, nothing's accidentally in Scripture? And, and what do we glean from that? I don't really know. Maybe that was just something that was kind of passed over. <laughs> Pass over. Anyway, um, I don't know, but... The very least that we can maybe at least consider is the fact that the lamb was sitting right there with them because Jesus became our Passover. He, he became the Passover for, for us. And it's no coincidence that Jesus was crucified. It's what this is kind of leading towards anyway, spoiler alert. But there's no coincidence that Jesus was crucified during Passover. And again, I'm going to get to this here in a minute of why we went through all of this. It's no coincidence that he, was pacif- that he was crucified during Passover. Jesus had to return to Jerusalem, just like all Jewish believers had to return to Jerusalem. It was an ordinance that was set for all the people to observe. 
and they're gathering together the Passover story in the meal, and everybody gathering together along with Jesus coming to Jerusalem, along with his crucifixion, all of these things all align together. They are intentionally timed perfectly. Now, I want to go back to this over here. When we look at this, so this is, I'm looking, I am looking for a specific answer in the question I'm going to ask. When we look at this timeline here, and we look at this time from, from the very beginning to the new creation, what would you say, um, and then we have Moses in Egypt kind of like tucked right in here, right? What would you say from the beginning to restoration was the nation of Israel's primary struggle? And there's going to be some different answers to that. So submission is that that's that's good. That's right. It's right in alignment with that. That's not wrong. It's kind of it ties right in. So that's right in alignment with it. That's good. There's going to be some different answers, but um, and and you're not wrong. I'm just saying that I'm looking for something pretty specific tonight. Faithfulness to 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 God, right? So if they're not faithful to God, this is good. So if they're not faithful to God. They're disobedient, okay? So what are they, if they're not serving God, if they're not serving Yahweh, what are they doing? Idolatry. Idolatry. Idols. I mean, it it really, it, it boils down to idols. Submission boils, it's, it's, there's an idol. Faithfulness to God? Well, unfaithfulness to God means that they're turning their fidelity to something else. Idols. Idols. Everywhere you look, Israel struggled and seemed to have an addiction to idols. So, here tonight, I want to maybe just Share this thought with us. First Corinthians, we talked about how Jesus is our Passover. Throughout the majority of the plagues that, is, that Egypt faced, throughout the majority of those plagues, Israel was exempt. In Exodus chapter 9, in verse 6, It says, so the Lord did this thing on the next day, and all the livestock of Egypt died, but the livestock of the children of Israel, not one died. That's just one of the plagues. Or the fiery hail in Exodus 9.24. So there was hail and fire mingled with the hail, so so very heavy that there was none like it in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. And the hail struck throughout the whole land of Egypt and all that was in the field, both man and beast. And the hail struck every herb of the field and broke every tree in the field. Only, verse 26, only in the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel were, there was no hail. Or in Exodus 10 and 22, 
Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was a thick darkness in the land of Egypt for three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. The, the plagues initially began by just in, impacting the entire land, but after a couple of them, it was relegated just to Egypt, and Israel was fine. And there's a certain kind of like justice, right? A certain kind of like, like, I knew it this whole time. I knew that there was something. I, I knew that we were right. I knew it. And it like, right? There's kind of like this justification that you can kind of feel. I mean, we could kind of maybe feel that way a little bit too. We have to be a little bit careful with that. Because people's suffering doesn't vindicate what we believe. What if, what if they don't suffer? And what if they prosper? Will you still believe? There were three Hebrew children that were about to be thrown into the fire, and they said, well, I believe that our God will save us. But even if he doesn't, I'm just going to answer you the same way. I'm not bowing down. Even if you continue to prosper and have your party and do your thing, that's fine. Hey, do your thing. And if God saves us, great. If he doesn't, that's fine. I'm not bowing down. Right. So, so there's this kind of this, this vindication. You feel like it's building, building, building. The story is just building, building, building. I mean, there's nothing left in Egypt. Like the, the, the crops have all been beaten down and the, the locusts have come through and even eaten down the crops that were beaten. Like it, there's nothing left. The cattle are all dead. There's, it's just dark and desolate. There's nothing Nothing until the last, and it's, it's just like building, building, building until the last plague, right? What, what was the last plague? We, we know this. This is, not, this is not a trick question. Death of the firstborn. And this plague crossed over the line into Israel and impacted everybody. Everybody. Not one person was exempt. You might say, why? Why, isn't Israel, why wouldn't Israel be exempt from this? Why, shouldn't they, why can't they just kind of stand back and see, yep, we knew it this whole time. That's the trend. It's been trending in that direction. So why now include Israel in this, and why is this necessary? If I could get somebody to read from Ezekiel chapter 20. Ezekiel 20. You're like, that's not in this narrative. I'm sorry, I have the wrong wrong passage. (laughs) Whoops. No, I don't. I know I don't. I have the right passage. Never mind. Just kidding. I was going to have you start in verse um, 1, but you can start in verse number 2. Ezekiel 20, verse 2. And through, this is the tricky part, (laughs) through verse 11, not too bad. Then came the word of the Lord unto me, saying, Son of man, speak unto the elders of Israel, and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Are ye come to inquire of me? As I live, saith the Lord God, 
I will not be inquired of by you. Wilt thou judge them, O son of man? Wilt thou judge them? Because them to cause them to know the abominations of their fathers. And say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, In the day when I chose Israel and lifted up mine hand unto the seed of the house of Jacob and made myself known unto them in the land of Egypt, when I lifted my hand unto them, saying, I am the Lord your God. In the day that I lifted up my hand unto them to bring them forth out of Egypt into a land that I had espoused for them, flowing with milk and honey, which is the glory of all lands, then said I unto them, Cast ye away every man the abomination of his eyes, and defile not yourselves with the idols of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. But they rebelled against me and had not hearkened unto me. They did not even, they did not every man cast away the abominations of their eyes, neither did they forsake the idols of Egypt. Then I said, I will pour out my fury upon them to accomplish my anger against them in the midst of the land of Egypt. But I wrought for my name's sake that it should not be polluted before the heathen among whom they were, in whose sight I made myself known unto them in bringing them forth out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, wherefore I caused them to go forth out of the land of Egypt and brought them into the wilderness. And I gave them my statutes and showed them my judgments, which if a man do, he shall even live in them. That's a pretty potent passage right there. <clears throat> and there's a repetitive theme in that. Thank you for that reading. There's a repetitive theme in that when the Lord is saying, I raised my hand. If you have the King James, maybe it might say, in an oath. It's as if to say, and that's where we get raise your right hand, you know, to, to take an oath. He's raising his hand to make a promise. He, and, he, and it says, it repeats it multiple times. I rose my hand, I, rose, I raised my hand to these people and said, I am the Lord your God, and, and I'm calling you out of Egypt, and I want you to cast away from you the abominations of your eyes and the idols of the land of Egypt. We get this idea, we get this idea of Israel that, <laughs> we get this idea that they, they were just, completely faithful to God when they came out of Egypt and that they were going through all of these plagues just like in awe and enamored by the power of God and everything that he was doing. And they came out of Egypt like this perfectly pure people and everything like that, this idea. But the reality is that they were in a land of idols and they struggled with idols and they brought those idols with them. And the Lord was trying to tell them and, to, sh and to, to shape them and mold them and help them by saying, you need to get these idols out of your life. So why this last plague, you might say, why did it impact both Israel and Egypt? I mean, there, there are maybe a number of reasons for that, but one of the reasons that I would quite frankly look at is the fact that Israel was was a nation of sinners too. They were a nation of not so great people too. And while the injustice that was done to them was certainly 
unjust and evil and wicked, it did not excuse them and give them the pass to do other things. So, in one act, the Lord says, Every, look, there's this evil wickedness that's, being, that's been perpetrated upon my people for these 400 years. And Egypt is paying the price. But at the same time, there's something that I cannot abide. And I cannot abide abominations and idolatry. And so, Israel, I'm just going to make sure that you are clear about this. And we're going to take care of this all together. And in one, because you better believe that if there was an Israelite family that did not do the, the actions that they were instructed to do for the Passover, if they did not kill the lamb and put the blood on the doorposts and above the door, if they did not do that, do you think that the Lord would have just said, well, they're Israelites, so I guess I'll just keep on moving to the next house. No. He, he, was giving, he was giving this act of justice and judgment upon the whole, the whole land, but in the very same act of justice and judgment, he was also presenting mercy and a way out. It was this, this dual focus of seeing there's my judgment and my wrath is being poured out on this humanity, but in this very same act that it's being poured out, there's also a way out. And it's no coincidence that the way out from his wrath or this judgment was centered around the blood of a spotless lamb. Focused on that blood. This final plague... This final plague that we see shows us that no matter how moral of a person we are considered to be in our own eyes, no matter how moral of a person we may be considered to be amongst the populace, the only thing that determines your safety, if I can put it like this, the only thing that will puts you on a path for salvation is the application of the blood. You can go through all of the steps. You can know people that have the blood. You can go through all of the steps with the lamb and have, sorry if this sounds a little gross, but this is, you could have the blood in a bucket right there ready to be applied. Your neighbors could have the blood applied. The people at your table could have the blood applied. But the only thing that puts you on the path towards your salvation into the promise that God has for you is when you apply the blood to your life. This Bible timeline that we put together I wanted to do this just to kind of get our creative juices flowing, but Israel struggled with idolatry. That's Notice when they came back from exile, you don't read a lot about idolatry any longer because it got 
beat out of them. It's true. You wonder why you struggle sometimes? Oh, boy. I'm, I'm, somebody take this mic. I'm going to get in trouble tonight. You, you, no, okay. I, I can say this because I've been there. I've been there. And, and, if I, and if we're not careful, I'll go, we'll go through there again. But, and I think I could get some testimonies here tonight. You want to know why we struggle sometimes? And we go through long, prolonged seasons in our lives. This doesn't apply to every situation. So don't get me wrong and, and feel like you're under some kind of condemnation here tonight. That's not what I'm trying to say. But what I am trying to say is that sometimes the Lord says, look, I want to work this thing out of you. And so I'm going to work it out of you thoroughly. We talk, I talk about this a lot, but we talk about the fact that when the Lord is working on you and teaching us a lesson, and you say, Lord, I got it, and what does he say? He's like, no, you don't. You'll get it, though. My pastor used to put it like this, that there was a, there was a, a lump, here we go, lump, lump, lump of clay. Y'all are just a bunch of lumps here tonight, so... There's a lump of clay, and the potter grabbed the clay, and he put it on the wheel, and he spun it and spun it, and he was molding it and molding it and molding it, and the clay became dizzy and sick and, and, and in so much pain and discomfort, and he cried out to the potter, and he said, please stop. I can't take this pain anymore. I can't take this discomfort. I, I, I'm going to be sick. Please stop. And the potter looked down with his, with his hands and his compassion and said, not yet, not yet. He spun him around and around and around and around and, and it kept molding and kept molding. And just when the clay was about to give up and to fall apart, the potter took him off the wheel. And the relief that he immediately felt felt so good. And then the potter took the clay and he put him in an oven and turned up the heat. And the clay was in the oven in this intense heat, and he was crying out to the potter saying, please take me out of here. I can't take this any longer. I can't go through this anymore. And the potter, with compassion, looked in and said, not yet. Not yet. Just when he thought he was at the breaking point when he was going to crack and fall apart, the potter takes him out. and He says, finally, I get to breathe. Just as he began to breathe, the potter begins to glaze and to paint and to decorate this, this molded clay. And the clay says, I feel like I'm suffocating. I can't breathe. It feels like it's too much. And, and I, don't, I don't want all of this. I, it's too much for me. I can't take it anymore. And the, the potter looks down with compassion and says, not yet. Not yet. And the process completes and the potter takes him and puts him on a shelf and in that shelf, he looks and sees his reflection in, in the window and sees that this lump of clay has been transformed into something beautiful and priceless. All because the potter, the potter said, not yet. We cry for God to take us off the potter's wheel. We cry out to God, don't put me through this and don't make me go through this. We cry out to him and we ask him, please, Lord, just, just give me a way out. How many of you have been there? I've been there. I've been there. Did you know Jesus was there? Your Passover? He said to the Father, as he was praying, he said, if there's any other way, 
let this cup pass from me. But in the very same breath, your Passover said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. God in his justice and his purity gives mercy to all who call on him. And in this singular supernatural act of this last plague, God displays his justice and his mercy. Judgment could be passed over because of the blood of a spotless lamb, a perfect lamb. A lamb who had no reason to die and would have been preferable to keep alive for the sake of the betterment of the flock. But in Exodus 12 and 13, it says, The blood will be a sign for you in the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. But it goes on to say, No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. Israel had to participate in this plague and in the protection and the actions because they too were sinful. They had to participate and they had to apply the blood to their lives that just because we were born into something or just because we think that we have some knowledge of something, knowledge will not save you without application. 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 Second Corinthians 5 and 21 says, He made him... He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He, so understand this. Jesus was made to be his, the, his body, his flesh, this humanity was made to be the expression of wrath towards sin poured out on humanity, wrapped up in this one man, this Passover for us, so that we could become the righteousness. So, so, so that we could display the right way of living. Does idolatry still exist today? Oh, absolutely. The biggest idol that we face today looks you in the mirror every morning. The biggest idol that we face today is not a Nehushtan. <laughs> For some of you, it's not some little doll on the window. It's, it's not some figurine or any of those other things. The biggest idol that we face today is self. It's self. And when we, I think, understand that we're no different than Israel, right? Like, 
We look at Israel and we're like, how could they keep making those mistakes? Hello? <laughs> I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, <laughs> especially about this. But um, no, how many have ever made a mis- the same mistake more than once? <laughs> like, it was like, let's be honest. <laughs> All right, let me back that up. Um, how many have ever bounced a check more than once? Okay, you don't have to raise your hand if you don't want to. I'm just, I'm just getting your, but you can if you want. It's like, you're not alone. Here we are. Financial class starting next week. No. Um, how many have ever gotten a, a ticket more than once? <laughs> okay. How many times have we gone to prayer and said, Lord, hear him again. Hear him again. And we, and we read this book, we, we look at Israel for centuries dealing with the same nonsense, like, get over yourself, Israel. But the reality is that we're no different. And if we're really honest with ourselves, we're no different than Egypt. If we're really, really honest with ourselves, we're sometimes no different than Pharaoh, perpetrating our own desires and not caring about other people that get in our way. I'm not, I'm not calling anyone a pharaoh today, I'm not, I'm not, but I'm, I'm like, if we're honest with ourselves, that selfish desire is within us because of our flesh, our fallen humanity. But there's hope. There's hope because Jesus is our Passover. And there's hope in his blood, that when his blood is applied to your life, You don't have to be a pharaoh to others. You don't have to be in Egypt or even to follow in the path of Israel who had this roller coaster relationship with God when you apply his blood to your life. And you say, Lord, I'm choosing not my my will, but your will be done. Jesus, as our Passover, as our lamb, when he, when he made the, the statement, if there's any other way, let this cup pass for me, but said in the same breath, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. When he makes that statement, he shows and reveals to us that our humanity cries for some kind of relief, but, but if we are in true faithful relationship with God, and he is our God, and we are not our own idol, we will say, Lord, nevertheless, Because I can promise you, when God puts you through your own cross, and Christians here today in the 21st century, Christians probably don't want to talk about the suffering that, that, we, are, that we, we go through, because it doesn't really measure up anyway. But, but here's the reality is, Jesus said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Let him take up his cross. Follow me. Galatians, it says that I am crucified with Christ. Like, imagine your hand, and then right on top of that, Jesus' hand. I'm, I'm crucified with Christ. And it's almost like he's there with you saying, you'll get through this. Lord, I don't think I can take it a minute longer. Take me off of this. Not yet. 
Not yet. But Lord, you don't know what it's like, but it's like, yes, he does know what it's like. Because we, we, we don't have a high priest who is not tempted in like ways like we are. He's, he's gone through everything that we've gone through, yet without sin. Because we have a Passover lamb. We have a Passover, which is Jesus. And the reality is that Israel, year after year after year, and I'm closing with this here tonight, year after year, they had to continue with this lamb sacrifice. They had to continue with the sacrifice of goats and bulls to push back their sin another year. And Jesus said, well, I I came as a Passover so that we don't have to do that anymore. So that you can actually, you can actually factually live in liberty and in freedom. And you could become, like you could become the righteousness of God. He did that for me. When I was Pharaoh to those around me and I didn't care whose feelings I hurt and I did everything I wanted to do for my own selfish agenda, he did that for me. When I was Egypt and I, I put other people to work for my own gain or, or when I was Israel that I claimed to follow God but I had idols stashed away on my journey, he did that for me. Yeah. He did that for you. Also, you could live an overcoming life in the right way that he had intended. Let's stand together if we can here tonight. You can take all of this imagery. You can take all the the knowledge of Jesus Christ as the substitute for our sin. You could see yourself as Pharaoh. You could see yourself as an Egyptian or an Israelite. And there in front of you is the knowledge. There in front of you is the knowledge and the process for how to care and overcome, care for and overcome the problems that you face. It's right there in front of you. But the knowledge alone won't do it. It only, it only makes an impact when you apply the blood to your life. So how do we do that? We don't, we don't go grab a lamb or a bull or a goat and drench our house in blood. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't say, I want to join in the symbolism of this and, and grab some hyssop and start painting your house in some blood of an animal that you found. Don't, don't do that. Be like, well, my pastor told me. No, I didn't. He, he didn't say that. Don't do that. Jesus, Jesus took care of that for you. Right? Right. So how do we apply the blood to our lives? 
John 1.10 says, He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came into his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, to those who believe in his name. John 3 and 16, I think we are familiar with that passage, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. But verse number 18 says, He who believes on him is not condemned. He that does not believe on him is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. It's a condition. And the condition is, will you believe and then receive what God has already done for your life. It doesn't mean that it stops there, because the application of the blood does not get you does not place you in your promise. It just gets you on your path. <laughs> but this begins by letting us know how do we get there? How do we begin to apply? How do we how do we, in the twenty first century? 2022, even with COVID, how do we apply the blood to our lives? You can't earn it. You can't go and, and redo it. There's nothing, there's no amount of works that you can do to make it better and easier on your life. What you must simply do is receive that gift from God and then walk, walk in faith, believing that His blood has paid the penalty for your sin. And you don't have to go back there ever again. Ever. Ever. Egypt wanted them out of there so badly, they were giving them stuff and saying, get out of here and don't come back. It was Israel that had their eyes back. You don't have to have your eyes back to where you came from. The blood is applied. The blood is applied. Apply the blood to your life and receive and accept the walk that God has, the path that he has for the promises that he's already set in place for your life. All made possible, not by, not by works lest any man should boast, <laughs> but by the grace of God in the sacrifice of our Passover, Jesus Christ. And let's just pray in closing here tonight. <laughs>